Okay. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Could you uh, find a seat? If you've not met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome. If you've got a Bible, could you turn to Ephesians chapter 6? Ephesians chapter 6. We will get there shortly. Okay. Um, Welcome to our Father's Day service. Um, a few weeks back, we had uh, a men's event, Man v. Word and Spirit, and we had about 30 of us guys turned up um, in the atrium just down the hall, and we had pizza together, which was fantastic. Thank you, Domino's, for that. Then we heard from three um, of our guys in the church, from Andrew, David, and Paul, who all did a fantastic job, and they were tasked to talk about what it meant to follow God through challenging times, and they were brilliant at it. They made uh, challenges, they made suggestions, they were vulnerable about their own difficulties and their own times that they had struggled when life is difficult. And then Dan led us in a time of worship afterwards, and we prayed together, and it was a really good evening for those who were there. It was a brilliant time. But I just want to build on that um, this morning, and that is that life is challenging and life is tough. And we are called to be men and women of passion and faith in those challenging and difficult times. And the reason that life is difficult and the reason that life is challenging, the Bible makes actually quite clear why that is. The first one is that we live in a fallen world that has been broken by sin. Go back to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2, everything's good. Genesis 3, everything goes wrong. Man rebels. Sin comes into the world. The second reason the Bible also tells us that life is tough and challenging is that we are in a war. We are in a war with an enemy who hates us and wants to destroy us. Uh, the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 5 8, he says, Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The Bible is very clear that there is an enemy of God, an enemy of God's people, the devil who wants to destroy us, who wants to take us down, who wants to draw us away from God. The enemy seeks to attack us. And we as Christians, as believers, are on the front line. And we are under pressure and assault in every area of life. And this has become much more kind of, I guess, more and more perspective recently over the last couple of years with what we've been through as a nation and as a world. We've found pressure and attack in so many areas of our life, in the areas of work. Work was designed to be meaningful and productive and something to do, yet we find it frustrating and soulless, particularly over the last two years where many of us have been away from workplaces. We've been isolated in homes, on screens. Everything's changed and it can be demoralizing and grinding down. We've been separated from those who we should be working with, those we should be together with. Our mental and physical health has come under attack and pressure People who didn't know they had problems, suddenly they come, they've come to the surface over the past two years and we find ourselves under pressure and under attack in those areas. Many who had not struggled before find themselves struggling now. Even our unity has been put under pressure. As a church family, we've spent 18 months separated from one another in any meaningful way. 
And we've only found that difficult. And returning to church has been hard work. Many people are coming less often. Some don't even bother coming back. It's like they, it was too much for them. They have given up our fruitfulness has been under pressure and attack. There was momentum. Maybe you find momentum before the pandemic, and it has been taken from us. We found uh, people who are missing out, particularly our children. When you look at some of them, what some of them missed through the pandemic, the, the, the transition into school, moving from one school to another, particularly some of our older kids who are going through the exam seasons, and they kind of just missed it all out. Some of the kids going to university and they had to do university from a distance because they couldn't get to go to their halls of residence or their lectures. Even fruitfulness was taken. And this is the world we live in. This is the reality of it. It's going to get better, by the way. I'm just realizing the tone of what I'm doing. is I'm feeling the room. But there's good news. And the good, good news is that God has not left us alone in this. He's actually given us a way to prevail and to stand up in this. And I just want to read a passage about it, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about it. So you've got your Bible? Um, Ephesians chapter 6. It'll appear on the screen behind me, but I'm going to read it out to you as well. It says this, verse 10. It says, finally, because we're at the end of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as your shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. All right, big idea for this morning. Big idea this morning is that we are in a war and we need to stand and fight. We are in a war and we need to stand and fight. If you got, guys, have you got your little... Who's cracked the beer already? Is there anyone? But have you got the little keyring? I had to take mine off, so I didn't bring it all up. Find your little keyring thing. And it says there should be something that you can stick this on a keyring, on a keychain or something. It's got the little the loop here. And it says on there, stand and fight. So could all the men in the room please stand up? Please stand up. <laughs> little pop culture reference there for those who are cooling down with the kids. <laughs> God has called you to stand and fight, and we are in a war, and all the thing on there is a reminder. So I just want you to do a physical action, stand and fight, look at the key ring, and everyone say after me, stand and fight. Stand and fight. Excellent, stand and that sounded very manly there, very deep. Please sit down. Okay, before we get into this though, we need to clarify a few things. Stand and fight, because I noticed some of you, and I would do it too. I've been preparing this. I do this. Everyone stand and fight. Everyone's suddenly bulldogs. All right. Stand and fight. And they're like, yeah, 
Come on, stand and fight. But actually, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of war are we in? We have to clarify one of these things. And if we go back to that passage, verse 12, what does Paul say to the church in Ephesus? He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but what? Against spiritual forces. We are talking about spiritual warfare. If you've been around the church um, a while, you will have heard that phrase, spiritual warfare. We are to fight, but we are not to fight with the weapons of this world. It doesn't involve planes and bombs and smart missiles and all those things. We are to fight differently because we are fighting a different kind of war, a spiritual warfare. And there are three little principles I want to highlight before we move into the passage about spiritual warfare, just so we're all on the same page. The first one, God is sovereign over all things. Paul begins this passage, finally be strong in what? The power of your army, the sharpness of your sword. No, in the Lord and the strength of his might. This is not Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, where you have a dualistic battle between two powers, and it's like, who's going to win, good side or the dark side? Is the dark side going to fail? No, the light side of the force will win. What about Sauron? Is he too powerful? Is the fellowship going to make it? No, it's not that at all, as great as those movies and stories can be. God is sovereign. He is over all. He is completely in control. It says in Colossians 1, verse 16, For by him, that is Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and by him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's in charge. He is sovereign. He is ruling and reigning over all things. He has complete control. The devil and the demons will come to that only operate under his say-so. Read the first few chapters of the book of Job and you will see that actually worked out. God is in control. Now, it's not always clear what's going on and how God is working his sovereignty out because if you take a couple of stories from the Bible, take the book of Jonah. Jonah was the prophet that God said, go to this great city, Nineveh, prophesy. Jonah said, no. And he went the other way in complete disobedience and he ended up in a boat in a storm. And it was all going wrong, and they found out that's because of your disobedience, Jonah. That's why we're in this predicament. Fast forward a few hundred years, you find a bunch of disciples. And the Lord, Jesus says, go across the lake. What happens when they go across the lake? In total obedience to Jesus, they get into a storm. One was totally obedient, one was completely obedient. Guess what? Both end up in the storm. Sometimes it's not clear. But what we do know, however the storm comes or whatever's going on, God is in control. Even in the face of opposition and persecution, we go to the book of Acts chapter 4. We have Peter and John, two of Jesus' friends, his disciples. They've healed the man, uh, the cripple at the gate. They're then proclaiming the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The Jewish authorities think, we don't like that. They grab them, they arrest them, they take them inside and say, stop preaching Jesus. And then they let them go and they go back to the church and they pray. And it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 24, how does this the prayer begin sovereign lord and you think wait a minute we've just been arrested for doing something good for proclaiming jesus for praying for a sick man who's got well and and that their response is sovereign lord whatever's going on god is sovereign he is in control second thing devil and demons are real and powerful because paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers against authorities against cosmic powers over this present darkness over spiritual forces of evil 
in heavenly places. This is just a reference to the demonic powers that are at work. We first see the devil turns up in Genesis chapter 3 in our Bible. He is totally opposed to the work of the Lord. And him and his followers do everything they can to attack the Lord's work. We see it particularly worked out in the New Testament when Jesus comes to earth. And we see um, him, Jesus being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Um, Luke 4, uh, we see Judas's betrayal at the end. We, um, I'm reading, we're reading through John's Gospel with the boys, and there's a bit where it talks about the devil tempted Judas, and he went to the priest and said, I'll betray Jesus, and they paid him for it. And actually, we, it's portrayed very much that the devil is behind his actions. You, you move on into the early church. In Acts chapter 5, we find Ananias and Sapphira, who were tempted by the devil to lie, and there's tragic consequences of that. We find uh, many healings from those under demonic oppression in Acts chapter 5, in Acts chapter 8, um, we have the story of the girl with the spirit of div- divination that the Apostle Paul eventually prayed for. She was released and all, everything came apart after that. They got arrested and beaten. And, we see the, and then we have the, the crazy story, if you want to read Acts chapter 19, about the sons of Sceva and what happened there when they tried, to, um, they tried to cast out demons and people who didn't know what they were doing did it and they didn't end up uh, in a very good place at the end. We find in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the Apostle Paul writes this, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. John later writes in 1 John 5, We know that we are from God, but the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. If you're new to faith, new thing, this is a reality you know. We are in a spiritual war and we have an enemy who is doing everything he can to stop us. And he does this by calling into the question the word of God. That's what he wants to undermine. Do you know the word of God? The first thing the the devil did to Adam and Eve was, did God say, really? Let's question God's word, but that's what he's about. But that's all subject to point one, which is God is sovereign. And the last one, third one that we need to remember is that we are responsible. God is sovereign. The devil and his demons are real, but we are responsible. We are not to be passive If you read that passage again and look at all the active words that Paul uses, put on, take up, we're to be doing something about it when it comes to the enemy. We cannot just sit back, put our feet up and expect everything to work out. Jesus said when he spoke to his disciples, he gave them very specific things that they are to do. He says, follow me. You have to get up to go and do that. And he says, I'll make you fishers of men. He tells them to take up their cross daily. That's another active thing that they are to do. So we are to be responsible in how we, how we approach this and how we deal, which is what the passage is about. So let's get into that and have a look. So we're in a war, a spiritual war. There's things we are to remember. So let's look at how we are to fight. Now, the image of this passage is of a Roman soldier. Roman soldiers were the top military force at the time, the Roman Empire, sort of, covered the known world then and had been conquered through force of arms and so they were an image that was uh, brimming with force uh, and was scary and no one would impose them because they were victorious in battle again and again and again. So how do we fight? The first thing is that we are to be prepared. We are to be prepared. It says in verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all stand firm. Stand therefore, having fast on the belt of truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, and as for your shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness of the gospel of peace. We are not to be passive, we are to be active, and we are to be prepared. What is the motto of the Cub Scouts? 
be prepared. Yes, I was. Yellow, uh, six with yellow six, gold arrow. Yes, be prepared. That was what it was. And this is as Christians and as Christian men and Christian ladies, we are to be prepared. We are to take up. We are to put on. We are to keep alert. We are not to drift. We are to not fall asleep. We are to stay focused, not get caught off guard. We are to be ready for the fight. You could sum this up with the phrase, get dressed, this section. Mel said last week when she was talking, we had the stairway here. She said, don't go out without putting your clothes on. Same idea. Get dressed. Be prepared for what is coming. If you look at soldiers from any army, kind of in the world, even throughout through history, they all had a uniform. They all had something that they wore ready for combat. Modern soldiers today do not go into combat in jeans and a t-shirt or a three-piece suit. They had gear that is appropriate for the fight that they are walking into. They are prepared for what's coming. And Paul highlights three things here. First one is the belt of truth, which would have been something they wore around themselves to basically hold in their kind of undergarments to make it all kind of kept in place so that when it got into the activity of combat, they weren't tripping over themselves and have bits of flying around. They were ready and prepared for it. And it's a quote, it goes back to Isaiah uh, in the Old Testament, where it talks about wearing righteousness and belt, like a belt of truth as an undergarment, saying, so your very kind of inners, everything is, is to be girded in God's truth, in the truth of God. And so as men, we are to know God's truth. We are to know that, which we'll find that in our Bibles. We are to be men of the truth, of what God says. That's how we're to live. We also be, be men who speak the truth, not just in what what God said, but actually in general life, men of integrity. Truth would be something that is not something that we mock or not something that we dilute or put down. It's something that is very much part of us. When we say yes, we mean yes. When we say no, we mean no. And that's it. And we are men of the truth and we are to have the belt of God's truth wrapped right up in our core. It says then there's a breastplate of righteousness, which was something that would have covered the soldier's center section here, which is where all your vital organs are. And so that protects you from swords and arrows and incoming fire. Again, this alludes back to Isaiah about the breastplate. He said you will take righteousness as a breastplate, the, um, the prophet says. And this is something that we are to hold on to, that actually in Christ we are righteous. We are, to, we are righteous because of what Jesus has done, which means when the enemy comes to condemn, we say, no, we have been forgiven. We stand righteous. We will not be cowed. We will not be beaten down by accusations because he is um, an accuser, the devil is called, and he will highlight all your faults and he'll try and make you feel worthless and small. And we can stand and say, no, because of Christ's righteousness, I can stand. I can stand before my Father in heaven. I can come boldly into his presence. Nothing can stop me because the way has been opened, not through my own actions, but through Christ's righteousness and what he's done. And he has given that to me. And I can stand in that and I can approach God. We're also to live righteous lives in the way um, that we live. We are to be ethical. We are to be men of integrity in our workplaces, in our homes. We're to be known as men who speak the truth and live that truth out. And that is how we are to act in this world. And that's how we are to fight that battle, to fight the lies and the false news and the fake media that comes along. We are to be men of integrity and ethics. 
and we are to know our identity in Christ. Great place to start to look up this if you're kind of like unsure about this. Go to the same book we're in now. Go back to chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and read it, study it, learn it, know it of what God has done for you in Christ and know your identity in him. And the third thing there, it says, is the gospel, sorry, shoes of the gospel of peace. Roman soldiers wore these um, uh, sandals on their feet that they were kind of laced up, so they were locked in place. And on the bottom, they kind of had studs for gripping, because in combat, you're moving, you're getting pushed to and fro, the ground can get messy, you need to be able to stand firm. And we are to stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ, on the good news of who he is. It says again in Isaiah, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. We are to live in readiness with that truth. We are to know that truth. If someone sat you down and challenged me and said, why are you a Christian? How do you become a Christian? Tell me all about that. Can you Do you know that? Because that's knowing the gospel of peace in its kind of most condensed form, but that's the starting point. If you know that, know what it means, that you're a sinner, that you've fallen short of God's glory, that Christ came as the perfect second Adam, and he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, and then he died in our place for our sin, rose bodily from death, and he imparted that righteousness to us when we repent of our sin and we put our faith in him, and we look forward to living life with him and one day being with him forever. The essence of the gospel. Do you know it? Can you talk about it? And we're to live in peace. We're to live in peace with God, having our sins forgiven and living there, but also we're to do what we can to live in peace with others around us. We're not to be cantankerous, antagonistic, rude, abrasive, harsh, and I know that's not easy, but that's how we are to live with peace. The second thing after being prepared is we are to stand to Stand to it. It says in verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Stand to. You hear that in movies when it's about to go down. The call goes out, stand to, stand to, and it goes down the line. And the soldiers grab their weapons and they come and stand at the parapet or at the trenches or whatever the fortifications are and they are ready to fight. You see the scenes where they're, they're doling out the weapons. The men come flying past and each one gets the weapon. weapon. Go and stand at post. Get ready because the enemy is there. They've been sighted. Battle is about to ensue and so you are to stand too with your weapons. So getting dressed is the first thing. Then you need to get hold of your weapons so that you are to fight. It says that they are, you are to stand firm and take up the weapons ready for the battle. And the first one is the shield of faith which was a large Shield the Roman soldiers had. Shields have varied over the years. If you study history, you have all different shapes and sizes. But the Roman soldiers had large body shields, which kind of covered up to their, their head all the way down to their feet. And they would stand there, and it would protect them from incoming fire from uh, javelins or uh, arrows or even uh, enemy swords coming. And they could hold it up to protect themselves. And the image from our Old Testament is God is the, the shield for his people. And we are to have a shield of faith. And it says it can uh, extinguish the darts of the enemy. And I, I read that the Roman soldiers often, they, they dipped their shields in water before battle. So when the flaming arrows came, they were extinguished on their shields. That was just kind of one of their tactics. So they had that. So that's why, how it extinguishes the darts of the enemy. 
So those flaming arrows come down, they'd hit these big thunk on the shields, but actually they wouldn't, the shield wouldn't catch fire because it, it was protected from that. And for us, we live in a battle, and the enemy is always throwing darts at us. He is always throwing things at us that are going to stick, and we need to have a shield of faith in God that protects us from those sticking and burning and damaging us. So how does the enemy attack us? Well, there's kind of a, a sort of a, a negative way, of, uh, and he does it with bad things, but he also does it with good things, interestingly, because he's sneaky, and he'll use anything. So the bad ways he attacks us is through bitterness and disappointment and anger and unforgiveness and apathy and laziness and ignorance and stupidity and condemnation. He wants you drowning in those thoughts. He wants you bitter and angry against those who slighted, wronged you and hurt you, against your boss, against your workplace, against members of your family, even your church family. And he wants you churning and chewing over them and being so focused on them. He wants you doubting God's word that actually he's good and righteous and holy and he loves you and he's for you. He wants all those things and he will keep coming again and again and again. And we need to be men who have cleared the junk off our stairs. Remember the image from last week? Clear the junk. We need to work through forgiveness. We need to work through the things that have pressed on our life. We need to hold on to God's word and believe what it says and go to God with everything we've got and work through it. He also uses the good things. He uses comfort and wealth and work and families and hobbies and DIY and anything that will take your eyes off him and make them more important than God. He'll use all the good things in your life, make you work extra hours so you're neglecting uh, personal devotions and times with him. He'll get your hobbies to mean, actually, no, I'd rather go and do that than come to church because that's made more fun. But actually, the devil will use it. It's a good thing. We need to keep fit. We need to have fun things and outlets. But actually, he'll, take, he'll use them and he'll get them to take you away. We need to use the shield of faith and say, oh, no. We know what God says. We know where we should be. We should be forgiving people. We should be loving, caring, so we should be working through bitterness and anguish. We've been meeting with God's people. We need to be part of that. We need to be worshiping. We need to be listening to God's word. And all those things are the shield of faith that helps us. The next thing is the helmet of salvation. They had a helmet that went on their head and it had like cheek plates. So it covered the front of the head, covered their whole head, bit down the back to cover the back of the neck. And this was the salvation, the helmet of salvation on their head. Again, another reference to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah and everything that's there. And this is a reminder for when we're in a spiritual battle that ultimately we are a saved and redeemed people. No matter what happens and what comes our way, no matter how devastating, no matter how big, no matter how overwhelming it feels, no matter how caught up, no matter how sideways it knocked us because we didn't see it coming, no matter how kind of like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do about this? Now, how much in the pit of despair, at the end of the day, I'm saved. I've been redeemed. I have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and taken into the kingdom of light. I have been born again. I have been raised with Christ. And no matter what this earth, this world throws at me, one day I will rise with him and be with him forever in a new and transformed body. We just did a whole series on that. And that is the helmet of salvation. That says, bring it on. Do your worst because it will never be greater than what God's goodness has given to me in this life and what I'm experiencing in the next life. We are to trust the salvation that God has. And then we have the sword of the Spirit. Uh, Roman soldiers carried a, sh- a sword. It was a short sword, about, I guess, 18 inches long, a double-edged um, 
blade on it, and it was a stabbing, thrusting sword that when the enemy got up close, they could use it to stab over their, um, their shields and uh, strike the enemy. And this is God's word. This is something that we are meant to be investing. We are meant to know God's word. We're meant to know it for ourselves, that we know truth, we know righteousness, all those things. But actually, we are to speak it out over others. We are to speak it out over situations. We are to proclaim the truth of God into all and any situations, into our own lives. The most important person you will speak the truth of God to is you. I can tell you the best times I've ever preached are when I preach to myself and I'm on my own. I always get saved every time. There's always an altar call at the end. There's always a response. I'm always there. But actually the most important person you preach the good news to is you. Remind yourselves of the things of God, who he is, what he's done, what's, what that difference that makes for you, what your future holds. But also we're to speak it out in every other situation. We speak it into our family lives. We speak it into our marriages. We speak it into our parenting. We speak it into our workplaces. The truth of God and how we're to live. Are we speaking uh, honesty and integrity? Are we speaking words of encouragement to build up? Are we refuting lies? Say, no, that's not how it should be. That's not how we're going to act. We are to use the word of God as our sword to fight this battle. Number three, last one. So we've got ready. We stand to with our weapons. What's the last thing? Well, we're to start fighting. We're to start fighting. Paul says in verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. The words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm ambassador in chains. I may declare it as boldly as I ought to speak. One of my favorite um, films or what I enjoy is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We were having um, uh, lunch with Aaron and GD yesterday and we got onto it because they had the special extended editions on the shelf. And there's a scene at the end of the third film, uh, The Return of the King, which is the Battle of the Pelennor Fields, which takes place outside Minas Tirith. And there is the men of Gondor who are in the city and there are the forces of Sauron outside. And they are attacking the city and they breach the city walls. There's that scene where Gandalf says, men of Gondor, no matter who comes through that gate, you stand and you fight. And the enemy comes with that, and it looks like the city is lost. They're retreating. And then what happens? The Rahiram turn up. Over the hills, the riders of Rohan who've made this long journey, they're going to stand with the forces of men. And they come, and there's a, they all line up on the hill. And they can see the forces of Mordor before them. And they, they are far as the eye could see. They are terrifying. And the king theater, and he gets his men together, and he rallies them. He says, this is the day. This is it. He says, spears will be shattered but we are going to fight. And they're all there ready. And there's Eowyn with the little hobbit, Mary, between her legs saying, we're going to fight. They're hiding because they shouldn't be there because she's a girl and he's a hobbit. But they're there. And what do they do? They roll down the hill. And that's a spine-tingling moment when the, the horses just go down the hill and they hit the side of the enemy. And they know, they don't know what's going to happen because the enemy are terrifying. But they start fighting. They start fighting. They say, we are in this. We're not going to stand back and watch others fight we're going to dive in and we're going to help. We're going to be part of this. We're going to be part of the battle. We're going to join with others who are also fighting. And that is our response. We are to fight. We are to fight. And it's fascinating what Paul highlights here as his kind of, this is how you fight. What does he talk about? He talks about prayer. That's how you fight, is you pray. He talks about praying in all kinds of ways. 
praying the Spirit at all times. So there's all types of prayer at all times. And so prayer is how we fight. How do we stand and fight? Well, we pray. We are men and women who stand firm in prayer. It is the foundation of the armor. It says we are to pray in all times, which is a lifestyle of prayer, whether that's personal, but also a corporate expression as a church family. And we have to do it in all times because the struggle is never ending. There's no point, we don't don't get to quit. There's no point where you tap out and say, actually, I'm done. You keep going. You're breathing, you're still fighting, and you're still praying. We're to pray in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God who fills us as believers, gives us access to our Father in heaven. We are to come boldly before his throne and do what? Make requests of him. Prayer is just simply talking to God, and that is what we are to do. We are to persevere in prayer. We are to keep going. We did, I can't remember when because my memory's been messed up by the pandemic. At some point, not that long ago, it might be a few, it might be a couple of years. We did a series on prayer. Let us, teach us to pray. And we did the prayer course and we did some teaching on the Lord's Prayer. If you missed that, go back, review that. We looked about how to pray, where you pause, rejoice, ask, and then yield. Pray. We are to be men and women who pray. That is what we are to do. And I find fascinating in this section <laughs> that Paul, the mighty Paul, the guy who wrote much of our New Testament, planted church after church after church, prayed for the sick and they got well, rose people from the dead. You're like, and Paul says, pray for me. And you're like, really? You need prayer, Paul? And Paul's saying to the church, yes, I need prayer. I need prayer to keep going this. I need prayer to keep boldly proclaiming the gospel. I need to be someone who is prayed for. And he is someone who prays for his church. If you read the book of Ephesians and many other ones, there's time after time when Paul prays for his churches. We are not to get caught in complacency and fatigue and the cares of this world. We are to pray for one another. We are to pray for the community of believers that is formed. We are to pray in all times. Jesus even said to his disciple, he says, the harvest plentiful, pray for laborers because there aren't many of them. Pray for them to be sent out into the harvest field so that we, uh, the gospel may be proclaimed. All right, let's do some application, then we'll stop and we'll worship. So the question is, how do we stand and fight? How do we stand and fight? Look at that key ring again. We do that with prayer. We do that with prayer. And I want to challenge you today, are you going to be men of prayer? This is, by the way, this isn't an optional thing. I'm asking it as, are you going to? It's not optional, but the question still remains, are you going to do it? Because you've got two choices, obedience or disobedience. And I want to tell you, are you going to pray? Are you going to pray for your families and whatever contacts? So your parents, your wife, if you have one, your spouse, your children, if you have them, your grandchildren, if you have them, are you going to pray for them? Your friends and friendship circle, are you going to be people who pray? What about your church family? Those in our, in our family, in your life group, um, in the kids' work and the youth work and the various teams, the leadership of the church, are you going to pray for them? What about in your workplace with your bosses and your co-workers and your company? Are you going to pray for them? Are you going to be talking to God about them? And the fascinating thing I find um, about this imagery with the Roman soldier, which is implicit in it, although not necessarily stated, is that Roman soldiers never fought alone. All the pictures of Roman soldiers, they came together. They came together in groups, vast groups, cohorts of 
men with shields and weapons and they would fight in a great overwhelming force. And so we are not just to pray alone, we are to pray with one another. And so I want to challenge you guys, who are you praying with? Who are your two or three that you pray with regularly? Who are the people who you are connecting with in prayer? We have larger contexts. We have uh, the church of prayer. We kind of gather as a, uh, as, a, as, a, as a family. We have life groups. But actually, do you have a couple of guys in your life who you can pray with, who you can talk to? Do you have people in your workplace you can pray with? Who's the other Christian in your workplace that you can pray with and just spend a few minutes once a week just praying for your workplace? Do you keep a list of what you're praying for? And saying, actually, this is what I want to pray for, and this is what I'm going to keep coming back to. And I know for me, I've, I've, I've done that over the years. I've struggled with it over the years various ways. One of the things I've found difficult when it comes to prayer is finding myself praying the same things about the same things. And I keep coming back to the same list and praying it over the same ways, and I find that hard work. But I've discovered recently a different way of approaching it, and some of you may have all known this, but I, I've started doing this recently. I've been doing it for the last about a month and a half now, and that is I've been praying portions of Scripture. I've been praying through the Bible, and I've been praying through the Psalms, because they're great places to start, because they contain so many different ways of approaching and talking to God. And so every day I take a Psalm, and I pray through it. And I start at Psalm 1, and over 30 days you do 30 Psalms, and then at the end of the month you roll around when you just add 30, okay? So I take the date of the month, add 30, so this morning I prayed for, through Psalm 49, and I've been doing that every day as a way. And it's basically, I mean, my prayers have opened up because I found myself praying for things that come out of the psalm that I hadn't been used to being praying before. And I got this out of a book here. It's called Praying the Bible. It's a great book because it's 80 pages long. Oh, isn't that great? You've got a book and it's hardback, 80 pages. So when you, f- you finish it, you feel like, oh, do you know what? Nailed it. Do you know? That's fantastic. And so I've got three copies here of Praying the Bible uh, by Donald S. Whitney that I have found absolutely brilliant and just an insight in how to pray a bit differently that keeps me motivated. I'm still doing it now. I'm going to carry on growing and probably when I get to 150 in three months' time, four months' time, I just start again because I'll have forgotten Psalm 1 by then. But I'm going to do it. So I've got three copies here. If anyone wants them, please come and grab them from me. Um, uh, actually, oh, da- oh, go on, go on, go on. Stick your hands up. I was going to say, actually, stick your hands up. One, two, three, you're there. Anyone else? Ben Grello wants one. And so does Rob Armstrong. We'll get your copy. Matt and um, Paul and Duncan. And will the rest of you, we will get, who's at the back there? Is that Yinka? Yeah, sorry. We will get you a copy as well. Everyone loves a short book because it's awesome. Pray. We're meant to be men of prayer. Let's finish. Can the band come up and can the men stand up, please? I'll let you ladies stand up in a minute. I want to pray. Get your key rings out, guys, please. Get your key rings out. Key rings, key rings, key rings. And we're going to stand and fight right now. Everyone can do this, but I'll just let the guys stand up. I want us to pray. I want us to pray because this is how we, this is how we engage in this fight. We are in a fight. That's not negotiable. You're on the front line. That's not negotiable. The question then is how you react to that. You can be passive. You can be disobedient and the devil will love that. You can be caught up in things that are bad. The devil loves that. You can be caught up in things that are good and be so obsessed with them you don't care about the things of God and the devil loves that too. He'll use anything to distract you. 
hobbies, DIY, as well as bitterness, unforgiveness, porn, you know, all those things. But we're going to pray and we're going to start fighting now. And we're going to cry out to God that we would be men of God. And we will be men and women who pray for our families and our homes and our workplaces and our schools and everywhere we find ourselves. We're going to be men of God who spend more time talking to God about things than we do about bitching about them to others. My question is challenge some of you guys is do you spend more time moaning about your work than you do about praying for your work? Do you spend more time thinking about how you can get your kids to get better at their chosen sport than you do praying for your kids to come and know Jesus? Because these are sobering questions we can ask ourselves. Are we going to give ourselves to be men who pray in all times and all ways for, our, for this world? And the great thing is, it doesn't matter what's happened before today, you can start now. And even if we get it wrong, which we will all, we can keep going because we have Christ's righteousness as a breastplate and his helmet for salvation. So lift up your hands. Lord, we want to thank you that you've saved us. We want to praise you for your salvation. We want to thank you that you've equipped us for this fight. You haven't left us alone. We want to thank you that you are sovereign over all things. That is good news. Lord God, we want to thank you that you've saved us and you've kept us and you are still keeping us and that you will keep us to the end. Thank you that we can trust you for that. Lord God, we want to say as men we will stand and fight in prayer we will give praises to you. We will proclaim praise to you. We will pray for our families. We will pray for our workplaces. We'll pray for our churches. We'll do all those things. We will live lives of integrity and honor. We will live lives of humility and submission. We will proclaim your goodness to the nations, Lord. And we pray wherever we find ourselves and whatever place you set us, God, we will live there for your glory. God, we pray by your spirit, you help us. Take this earth, this, take this little bit of leather and stick it on a key ring that we're just reminded that we stand and fight daily for your glory. And God's men said, amen. Ladies, you want to stand up? We're going to worship.